Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. If you are a regular listener, an ACA frequent flyer, you know that A Certain Age spotlights expert voices in the stories of women who are making the most of midlife, launching new endeavors and creative projects, women innovating their lives in new and exciting ways, because we are just getting started. This is the very first time the show has featured a neuroscientist who walked away from academia to become a creative. Dr. Christine Koh spent a decade doing research and prestigious fellowships at places like the Harvard Medical School and MIT. On the cusp of becoming a professor, she hung up her academic hat to pivot into a career creating content that helps people live better, happier, and more purposeful lives. Christine is a repeat author and contributes to major media outlets like the Boston Globe, CNN, and the Washington Post. She's the host of Edit Your Life, an award-winning podcast about simplifying and decluttering your physical and mental space to make room for the things you most care about in life. She joins me today to share ideas for integrating minimalism into our lives for maximum joy and well-being. Welcome, Christine. Hi, thank you for having me. I am thrilled about this. I love connecting with other podcasters. I need your expertise. I'm a mom <laughs> of three kids. I know you're a mom. My kids are in a zillion different directions. I'm married to my college sweetheart who likes to hang on to his college t-shirts. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of random crap in odd corners and overstuffed family calendar. And I am really excited about hearing your recommendations to hardwire minimalism into our homes and lives. But first... I would love to hear the backstory on how a neuroscientist involved into an advocate uh, for doing less, having less in order to experience more peace and joy. Yeah, I think that, well, thank you for asking these questions. And I think <laughs> that really, when I think about the broad scope of my career switch, it feels like I was living out therapy in real time or something. <laughs> because I grew up in a household of scarcity. And I was on a very specific path with science. I wanted to become, and it was a valid, authentic one at the time that made sense to me. I wanted to become a college professor. I was inspired by the mentors I had at my undergrad college. And, you know, I was a good academic. I was really good at it. I'm great at developing experimental protocols and following them through and writing scientific papers and all that stuff. And yet, When I got to my postdoc, arguably one of the fanciest appointments one could have here in Boston at Mass General Hospital, Harvard Medical, and MIT, I was just really quite miserable. I mean, it was not what I expected. It was not what I wanted. And, you know, all the fire I'd had for science during my PhD and my master's just kind of extinguished. And I think a big part of that was having to deal with other emotional demands. In my case, specifically, I had become a new mom. My dad was dying. And those two things really shifted my priorities, forced me to look at my priorities. And I just realized that, you know, I love working. I want to be doing something interesting and creative and productive. And academia wasn't it. And also notably, I was very clear that I wanted to return to work. But I knew that if I'm going to spend all this time away from my baby and, you know, pay for daycare and all these things and want to spend time with people I care about, that work really needs to matter and light me up. I can't just sort of 
go through the motions. That was really important to me. And that became clear in the face of the sort of big emotional emotional upheaval of becoming a new parent and losing a parent. Sure. You had um, like a sort of a classic sandwich generation moment. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think those those moments of intensity are very clarifying. You know, mm-hmm. we are forced to strip away all the stuff that doesn't matter. I'm thinking of an experience that I had uh, a couple of months ago when one of my children had a very sort of life-altering uh, accident and then subsequent surgery. And mm-hmm. it really puts into high relief what you give a shit about, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and what needs to fall away when you have less time. Um, so, so you had this moment of clarity. You reoriented your career. And you became an advocate for what you call, quote, you know, editing the unnecessary to make room for the awesome. And I absolutely adore that notion. We all need more awesome in our life. <laughs> you know, we, um, we've, we've just come out of three years of sort of tumultuous change. If you look at the news headlines, you know, it feels like, you know, there's a lot of chaos in our lives. And we do want to clarify what we care about and make room for the awesome. And I would love to hear why you chose to sort of focus on a podcast that 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 helps people clarify what's important to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the podcast had a natural run up. And this was a real point of self evaluation and discovery. And it, I think it started really with the blog that I'd started as a postdoc that all of a sudden took off and was also a helpful validator. I mean, it wasn't making me money at the time that I left academia, but there was definitely something there. There was community, there was immediacy of publication. It was very gratifying in a very immediate way that is not present in traditional academic uh, venues. And so the thing that happened when I was running that blog called Boston Mamas is Anytime I wrote about doing less, whether it was choosing not to opt into all the activities, like with intention, like really choosing not to do that or not having all the stuff that everybody was buying or anything in that lane, it was so interesting because I would get these messages. It almost felt like digital whispers, you know, people saying, we can do that. Like, can we do that? And I realized that collectively this generation of modern parents needed a form of permission. I I mean, I didn't think that it necessarily needed to come from me, but clearly there were a lot of people who felt the same way, but were struggling against the tide of what was happening. And so around that time, I, when I'd started my blog, I had discovered a writer named Asha Dornfest. She had a very popular new parenting blog called Parent Hacks. So all about, you know, little things, little things to make change in your life as a parent and make your life easier. And I reached out to her and we connected and we're very like-minded in this perspective. And so at some point down the road in our friendship, we had amassed enough experience and community and anecdotes in our own lives and those of others that I was like, want to want to write a book about this? <laughs> and that led to our book, Minimalist Parenting, which, oh my goodness, at the time of this recording, it's its 10-year anniversary, which is bonkers. Um, and then I think that as we were writing that book, as we were putting the finishing touches on it, I was really pulled by the sense that this conversation about doing less, about really tuning into our values, identifying what really matters to us, and then acting on it just felt so much broader than parenting. And so I think we had literally just FedExed our 
pages into the editor and I said, want to start a podcast and talk about this and have it be intentionally broader. I'm always, I'm a starter of new things. I love it. Of course. It's so fun. Yeah. I'm a creative, I'm a doer. And so, yeah, that, that was the origin story for the podcast. And the response over the years has just been tremendous. You know, people need encouragement. They need to find agency. And it was really important to me that the show wasn't just a decluttering show about stuff. It's about our calendars. You mentioned your overstuffed family calendar. It's about our emotional space, about relationships. It's just about so much more because we are complex mammals and we have a lot going on. So we have a lot to tend to. Absolutely. And, and you know, modern life runs at full tilt. We have, um, you know, a lot going on uh, in every aspect of our lives. You know, you alluded to the fact that you're, um, you know, you started to this as a parent. People felt really excited that they didn't have to sign up their kids for a million sports or activities because, you know, the world that we live in sometimes makes you feel like all that stuff is necessary. We have, mm. you know, we live in the world of the container store, which is like designed to house all of our crap, you know, which for some reason we continue to buy. And, and, and we, you know, we have a lot of um, demands in, in modern life. Um, we're going to explore how we can sort of declutter all of our calendars and our physical spaces and our mental space. But I want to start with the notion of micro goals. You did a show on this. It caught my eye because I was like, a micro goal. I could get behind that. It feels very manageable and doable. What are micro goals and how can they help move us from unnecessary to awesome? Yes. So I love the phrase micro goals. I don't know. It came to me kind of in the middle of the night. And I don't know if I'm the only one who's ever said that. Probably not. But I like <laughs> to think I am. Because... <laughs> and, and you know, basically the idea is that of course, big goals are super sexy and they're what we see uh, pasted over the internet where people are talking about their big goals and this is going to be the best year ever and all that. And they're tremendously daunting and paralyzing at times. And so I really lean hard in the other direction in every single aspect of my life. And I work really hard to break down both the minutia of life as well as the bigger goals that I have into micro goals. So things that are really tactical that can be tackled in relatively short order or just to have like, you can check it off, you know, when it, when you finish it. And so, I mean, this has expands to everything from decluttering my office, which has been a big thing recently um, to making more room and intention around my relationships, especially my friendships in service of my own mental health, um, to my very real midlife healthcare needs, like booking a colonoscopy, which I am talking about all over the internet and people are like into it. I'm normalizing <laughs> poop conversations. Okay. Like I, there is real ROI. Yes. On the <laughs> this is an important, this is an important step to take. We got a normal, everyone needs to book. If you haven't done it yet, that's your micro goal for the end of the show. Hit up your doctor, get a colonoscopy scheduled. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, it's just, it's it's all about, I mean, my general goal in life is I just want people, one, to know they're not alone in their struggles and their, and, um, you know, their desire to make change in their life. And I want to help them along that path to really find that agency. And I think it just starts small and small is great. Small is great is such a terrific piece of advice. We are heading into a break, but when we come back, I want to explore how we apply this in different aspects of our lives. Rosebud Women crafts beautiful, organic, sexual wellness and intimate self-care products to support women in midlife. 
Their Honor Everyday Balm is a magical vulvar and vaginal moisturizer with Basa Bolo to build back skin resilience. I use it and absolutely love it. Arouse, the only three-in-one stimulating serum available on the market, enhances sensation in a woman's own lubrication. Rosebud Woman also offers award-winning body care products crafted to address the top needs of women of a certain age. I use the Anoint Oil on both my face and body daily. It is silky, smooth, and deeply hydrating. Join Rosebud Woman in a lifestyle of deep self-reverence. A certain age listeners who use the code KATIE10 at checkout receive 10% off their purchase. That's K-A-T-I-E-1-0. Head to rosewoman.com for beautiful sexual wellness and intimate care essentials. Christine, we're back from the break. We talked about baby steps, starting small, micro goals. All of this feels so doable, which means it gets done, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about how you apply this notion of micro goals to things like your health. You know, Rather than just sort of saying, I'd like to be healthier, which feels very abstract, you break it down into concrete steps like book a colonoscopy, maybe it's book a mammogram, schedule you know, a teeth cleaning, et cetera. But I was um, struck by something that you said. You apply this notion of micro goals to your relationships and specifically friendships. I want to hear more about this because, you know, my my husband is such an enormous part of my life, but some of my other key relationships are with my girlfriends. Tell me how you use micro goals to reboot your friendships. Yes. Well, I recently shared an episode called, I think it was called Simple Friendship Reboot Tactics. And Again, this was like me working out my therapy and my <laughs> experimentation on myself in real time. Love it. And, you know, it came, even developing that show came from a place of deep humility. I am somebody who has been, I don't know, had life experiences that have really hardened me and made me see things in a very black and white way. And I haven't always been been the best friend. I've had women who have definitely told me that I have not shown up enough and that I am not a good friend. And even as an evolved 49-year-old, I, in the last year, have had a couple of relationships that hit some major bumps, major bumps, of which I definitely played a role in. And so, you know, I think, and it's not surprising, we all know this from the loneliness epidemic and the pandemic and the struggles that people have had that our relationships matter and it's also easy to let them not matter. So when I was thinking about my friendships in the last like four to six weeks, I or in advance of recording that show, I was thinking, okay, I need to make this really simple, really tactical. I'm going to look for any opportunities that I can find where I can even issue a short dose of love to people I care about. And so it was small, really small stuff like, okay, I'm sitting outside of my kid's soccer practice. I would normally be scrolling or doing something, but, and I should note, I'm a phone phobe. I do not like the phone, but I'm going to pick up the phone and call somebody because I just realized I have an old voicemail from a friend that I still have not responded. It was wonderful. It was life-giving. On a shorter scale, it's engaging in like a little text storm with a friend or going to, you know, have a, if you want to double up on the love. I went to a book event with a friend for a mutual friend. So we got to show our support and show up. And we also got to eat ramen before. So we were living. I mean, it was great. Nice. And I've also found, you know, I think it's important to note that, I don't know, kind of like 
when you were saying taking care of your health feels like this big daunting thing, taking care of your relationships feels daunting and maybe emotionally loaded. So I do want to encourage people that if you're somebody like me and you're very tactical and you need reminders in order to remember to do things, even as it relates to your relationships, that's okay. And, you know, two very specific examples I have, I live and breathe by my to-do app. I use Todoist. I love it because I can set up recurring tasks. And so on the front end of the week, I have um, a recurring reminder, I think on Sundays that says something like uh, social relationship check-in. And it's a reminder to me to make sure I have at least one non-work human social connection that week. It could be in person, but it could also be like a Zoom, you know, meet up with a friend who lives out of out of state. The other thing I have on Fridays is a recurring Friday task that says friend Friday emails. And at that point, I just take a quick spin through my inbox and, you know, respond to friends who have reached out to me where I haven't gotten back to them yet. So it both initiates connection and alleviates me of that, oh, I'm such a bad friend, like that guilt from not having responded to the emails. So I just want to point out that really simple, quick tactical actions can make a huge difference. I do feel a level of contentment in the last, you know, month or two since I've started doing this where I feel like I'm connected to people. Like they know I care. I care about them. It makes me happy thinking about them and showing them I love them. I love this. It's so it's it's about bringing intention to something that's important that we can sometimes neglect, you know, just because our, our calendars are full. It's smart to mm-hmm. schedule it. it. It makes me think of I've had a couple of experts come on to talk about midlife intimacy. And every one of these women who have, you know, joined me as guests has said, you can schedule sex, you know, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's not going to be really fun once you do it, you know, it, it so we can, we can, be intentional about putting things on our calendar to reconnect. I do something usually once a week where I take a walk with a friend through mm-hmm. my neighborhood, which I love doing because it's, again, it's that double dose that you talked about. It's I'm getting some exercise. I'm getting some vitamin D. We know that movement is important. Sitting is the new smoking. Um, but it allows me to reconnect with somebody. And it allows me to walk my pandemic puppy, which which I'm not oh, always... Which many of us have. Yeah. I, which I'm not always great about doing because she's a little <laughs> hard to walk. But you know, when I'm when I'm doing it with a friend, I, I, I get that dog leash out and make it happen. Um, yeah, so I totally. love that. I love this notion of bringing intention to this. So I have done a dive onto your website into your Instagram, and I know that um, you are also applying this sort of notion of intention and um, you sort of doing less with uh, you know doing less to your wardrobe. I noticed oh, yes. this caught mm. my eye that you've been experimenting with clothing rental versus buying. So I would love to know why are you doing this? Is 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 this about purchasing less? Is it about ease? Is it about taking out some of the stuff like having to shop? Has it worked? What did you learn? Is it something we should consider? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I have a whole episode. I think it's called like my clothing rental experience that I I shared on Edit Your Life. And it has been all the things. And like like everything I'm talking about, there's a backstory. I will just quickly say I grew up in scarcity. I was the kid who, you know, wore the same outfit one week at a time because that was all I had. And, you know, so clothing has always been a little bit of a struggle, you know, and and since coming into more of an abundant life where I can buy my clothes and all that stuff, it's also been a struggle. Like I, like many people, moths come around every now and then and 
eat my sweaters and then I feel bad about having bought the sweaters. And I also like wearing bright things, but I'm worried about wearing them too many times. I mean, I have so many issues. So anyway, I decided to try renting clothes from Rent the Runway, which by the way, isn't just about fancy gowns, although I did wear rent and wear an amazing sequin jumpsuit a couple weeks ago for a 50th birthday party. And nice. it was awesome. Yay. But I, I'm renting like sweaters mostly because it's cold in Boston right now. But it has been so fun for me personally. So sorry, let me just say that the reason I shared that backstory is that it took some convincing of myself to say, okay, this is not frivolous. This matters to you. You love clothing and you want to dress the way you want to dress. And so try this different thing for a while. So there were some like inner wranglings that I had to get to. On the other side of that, I will say it has simplified my life in so many ways. I don't have to wash anything. I just toss it in the bag. I don't even have to drop it off. I just, they'll pick it up on my doorstep when I'm done with my clothes. I get to dress the way I like. And it actually makes getting dressed easier because I know I have a plan. I know what I'm going to wear, what days, and it has just been so fun and awesome. I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> yeah, I've actually tried it myself. I've done Rent the Runway for um, events mostly, and I just started um, a, a rental thing with something called Newly. And you, yes. I think it's N U U L Y, or maybe yes. there's two L's. I will figure out the spelling and put it in the show notes, but it's super fun for me because it's largely um, an anthropology rental. Mm -hmm. And I love Anthro. I do a lot of shopping there, but I don't need to own, you know, a sweater with um, swans all over it permanently. But I could wear exactly. I could wear it twice and be like, this was fun. Or rent like a hot pink coat that I don't want to invest money in, but I can wear, you know, once or twice and then return it. And it's been super, super fun. And I would definitely encourage people who've not given this a go yet to consider rentals because we all own too much stuff. I've got things languishing in my closet that I don't mm -hmm. that I don't really wear and I don't need to own. And I'm I'm pretty good about donating. So there isn't truly too much in there, but I, I don't want to add new stuff. And I think we're all getting to that that phase of life. You know, I uh, have a lot of friends who are about to become empty nesters. Maybe they're downsizing. Or even if our listeners are not downsizing, they're often helping their parents downsize. And mm -hmm. um, I think we can all agree we all own too much junk. So this is such a smart way of um, maybe keeping your closet in check. What would yeah. be? Yeah, yeah there's, you know, one on other unexpected residual effect of this is that, I, I mean, I haven't bought clothes ever since I started this. And I think I started it in, I don't know, maybe September or October of 2022. And that means... I'm no longer getting credit card statements from like J. Crew, which means I'm not spending time logging in and making payments. I mean, there are just so many unexpected things that it's simplified. I mean, if you were really thinking it through at the beginning, of course, yes, that would be an effect. But it's just been like, wow, okay, great. Less emails, <laughs> less online payments. Like, I love it. Yeah, it, it 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 simplifies things across the board. So, how do we how do we simplify our homes? You know, you you cover lots of different areas, but if we're trying to actually, your work goes beyond simply decluttering. But, you know, my desk is a hot mess. So, if you were to help, um, everyone's got a hot mess area in their home. It could be your kitchen cabinets. It could be your front hall closet. You know, for me right now, it's my desk. Uh, what is coaching that you might give to somebody um, who, you know, needs help tackling areas that that feel unmanageable? 
Yeah. Well, I will say that in general, my perspective is not surprisingly, it's go micro. So if like office declutter, that was one of my goals that I had that I needed to break down into micro goals. So we're talking empty the top junk drawer, empty the second junk drawer, (laughs) like, you know, declutter the closet, get rid of books. Like it's about breaking down those big steps into like one drawer at a time. Now I say that, and I do believe in that, um, as it, as it might apply to your closet, for example, it could be like, take one thing that you're never going to wear again out every time you walk in there. I was doing that for a while, which was a great way to get rid, get rid of stuff in a slow way in my closet. So in general, I prescribe a really micro approach because otherwise it's tremendously overwhelming. And so that's actually one reason why I never could really get on board with the Marie Kondo approach of like dumping out your entire closet and then, you know, burning it all to the ground and starting again. (laughs) That said, oh my gosh, that's so funny. The other day, as it relates to my office, I decided to buy a standing desk in order with the ultimate goal of getting a walking treadmill and, you know, getting some more movement and standing in my day. But what happened is when I ordered the desk, it required reconfiguring my office because I wanted to also fix the feng shui and then getting rid of my desk, which meant if I was going to get my workspace reoriented, at least in general by Monday, I had to dump everything out. And I will say it was both a disaster. There were pictures that I posted on Instagram and people were like, oh my gosh, I have huge amounts of anxiety (laughs) seeing like this level of mess. But the fascinating thing is I basically dumped everything into three big boxes slash bags, just dumped the drawers out. And since then, this was a few weeks ago, it's been an exercise in only unearthing the things I really need. So my drawers are beautifully empty right now, except for like, you know, some pens and paper and, you know, my essential oils and (laughs) stuff. So if you feel like you need a big reboot, I guess what I'm saying is give yourself permission to like dump everything into a bag and then see what you might need at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And only fish out things that you're, that you're truly missing. I mean, the Marie Kondo thing is such a crack up. I read that book and in some ways it was inspiring, but I thought to myself, there's so many things in my house that don't spark joy that I need, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, like plungers, like that doesn't spark joy, but like, I'd be very Definitely. sad if it weren't there when I needed it. So we do have to hang on to stuff, but we all, we all own too much. And as we look to um, streamline our our lives and our you know our homes. And sometimes we just need to edit things out. I do love this notion of of taking it in, in micro steps because it does make it feel manageable. Speaking of making things feel manageable, I know your show is called Edit Your Life, but you truly have a lot going on, right? You you are an author. You write books. You host a podcast. You are a contributor to the Washington Post, Boston Globe. You have kids. You have a side job consulting. What keeps all these trains on the tracks for you? How do you manage your own calendar? Yeah, I think, um, well, I will say that I notably shuttered two of my anchor businesses, my my blog, which I archived officially in October, and then my resistance apparel line. (laughs) I I, I put a pause on that on my Etsy shop. And I did those in the last quarter of last year, which was very freeing. But I will say I I am a doer. I love creative things. I'm inspired by those projects. But on a tactical level, I have really embraced in the last um, several months 
calendar blocking. And I know that's going to sound, might sound a little basic, but let me tell you, tell you what I mean. So I used to be the kind of person who really only wanted the things on my calendar that were like meetings where I needed to remember to show up because otherwise it felt too busy to me. I didn't like looking at it. It was just, it, it felt like too much, but I recently have started really intentionally blocking my calendar. So for example, say I need to, um, spend some time drafting up interview questions for a podcast guest or something, instead of just having that hanging on my to-do list, like to be done at some free time in my day, I put it a block on the calendar for that specific task. And so now my calendar is really quite full, but it's with these really intentional blocks. And what I've found is it just, it keeps me focused. It keeps me from jumping in and out of my email. And I think it's helped me work in a more efficient and mindful way. So that's been a just a really good tactical change in the last several months. Uh, that's so smart, because if we wait for time to have things, you know, free time to make things happen, it just doesn't occur. You know, if, like, mm-hmm. I feel like nature abhors a vacuum. And, um, you know, parenting and, and modern life um, really just sort of oozes into your calendar, and you don't get to the things that are important to you. So it's smart to time chunk it. I do time chunking myself. Also, I had uh, Leslie Jane Seymour kicked off the podcast with me at the start of 2023. She has done a deep dive into time management. We explore that uh, idea on that show. And we also talked about the Pomodoro method there too, which Mm -hmm. is where you break your day into 25-minute increments. And I I have found all of those tips to be so helpful in my own life of of keeping the trains on the tracks with the podcast, my family, and my day job. So I I love to hear that you do this as well. And I would encourage listeners to take this on if you're looking at your calendar and thinking, I'm not getting my important things done. This is a great planning tool. Christine, we're going to be heading into our speed round because our time is nearing the end. And this is just a quick one to two word answers. We're streamlining our answers for this question. Okay, let's do it. (laughs) We're editing out the unnecessary and we're sticking to one to two words. Um, Your favorite lifestyle hack that declutters your own thoughts and makes you feel zen. Favorite lifestyle hack. Oh, my goodness. Uh, That makes me feel more zen. I would say it would be prioritizing and really acknowledging movement, even if it's just 15 minutes. For me, it's yoga. Even if it's just 15 minutes, it doesn't have to be an hour. It can be quick. I love it. I'm with I'm with you. Bikram yoga is my uh, jam. So I see from your Instagram that one of your uh, other things that keeps you busy is that you are an avid baker, right? What's the last (laughs) most awesome thing you baked? Oh. So it's from Sally's Baking Addiction website, and it's her carrot cake cupcakes. But the great hack that makes my family very happy is that I have the frosting recipe and I turn them into carrot cake muffins so they're appropriate for breakfast. Nice. (laughs) Yum. That sounds good. Latest favorite rental item? Oh, I think it was the sequin jumpsuit. I do have an Instagram post on that if you want to if you want to see it. I will, I will we will check that out. Uh fewer better things is a fab mantra. What is something specific you would like to have less of? I think I would hmm, I think still just stuff is is um an issue. I like to think that I'm on this like seven-year declutter ramp until my youngest child leaves the house. <laughs> so I'm tackling it in micro goals, but there's there's still a lot of stuff as much as I, I think I want to acknowledge to people that it's a 
it's an ongoing fluid process. Yeah, it's an ongoing battle. For me, it's the the shoes in the front hall closet. Okay. Oh, yeah. And th- so this is sort of a good segue. Even people committed to minimalism struggle, right? What's an area of your home that's continually hard to declutter? Oh, well, I like to joke that – so I live in a side-by-side condo, and there's no front closet. And so uh, everybody puts their coats on the um, – knob the store stair rail that leads upstairs <laughs> and so i like to joke that this is my battle with exactly no one because it bothers me intensely and it doesn't bother anyone else so <laughs> i think in my dream world if i could have some have somebody deal with the cl- the um the coats on the knob i would be really happy all right somebody needs to uh, buy christine a coat rack and for her <laughs> for her front hall we're all chipping in. All right. This has been such a, a blast. I love connecting with podcasters. I loved hearing your, your thinking on how we can bring these micro goals to important things like relationships, but we can also apply them in areas of our life like managing our health, managing our home, managing our calendar. This has been fantastic. Here's my last question before I say goodbye. What is your one word answer to complete this sentence? As I age, I feel content. Nice. Thank you, Christine. How can our listeners find you, your books, and your podcast? Yeah, I think the best place for everything is christineco.com. I'm Dr. Christine Co. And I actually have just recently started writing a Substack newsletter. So it's just christineco.substack.com. And I would love for people to join me over there. Thank you, Christine. All of that will go into the show notes. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. Thank you for tuning in and being a friend of the show. Before we say goodbye, a quick favor. I would love a written review over on Apple Podcasts. Yes, the star ratings help, but written reviews are truly killer. You can share what you learned, why you tune in, mention a favorite guest, or simply let us know if A Certain Age makes you happier, smarter, more inspired, or feel like you've crashed a very fun dinner party and don't need to stick around to help with the dishes. Reviews matter. They help other women like you find the show. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties. Beauties.